This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. The following content may contain strong language. Hello, this is the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast with me, Simon Stevens. Anya Reese's debut play, Spur of the Moment, opened upstairs at the Royal Court Theatre in 2010 when she was 18 years old and in the throes of the weeks leading up to her taking her A-levels. A spiky and tender excavation of the need and inability of parents to acknowledge the awakening sexuality of their daughter when a new lodger comes to stay. It felt like the arrival of a startling new voice. It was a huge success, receiving the TMA Award for Best New Play that year and the Evening Standard and Critics Circle Awards for the Most Promising Playwright. The daughter of a former canon at Westminster Abbey, she first came to the Royal Court when she was 14 to take part in a half-term playwriting course. She was protected and developed by the theatre and by the Young Writers Programme there and exemplifies the generation of writers first produced at the theatre by Dominic Cook, along with Polly Stenham, Bola Agbaje and Rachel Delahaye. She was part of what felt like a bracing new generation of writers for the stage. She followed Spur of the Moment in 2011 with The Acid Test, also in the theatre upstairs, a play reinterrogating the pain and embarrassment of the relationships between kids and their parents, this time from the perspective of a woman in her early 20s whose night in with her housemates is interrupted by the arrival of her recently evicted father. She's spoken frankly about her complicated relationship with her school life, her public decision to not go to university, but instead to pursue her career as a writer struck me at the time that I learnt about it as an impressively confident gesture of defiance to Tony Blair's fantasy of a pan-graduating Briton. The years following the acid test have seen her make a confident and successful foray into writing versions of classic plays, her sparkling version of Frank Vedekin's classic study of teenage despair, Spring Awakening, was produced successfully by Headlong Theatre Company, and more strikingly, perhaps, her versions of Chekhov's masterpieces The Seagull, Uncle Vanya and Three Sisters saw her relocate those plays into a contemporary England of Land Rovers and iPads and receive widespread approval not only from national theatre critics and my own son, who much preferred her versions of Chekhov to mine, but also David Hare in the recent introductions to his collected Chekhov uh, versions. She has also written regularly and with real range and success for EastEnders, including, I'm told, by a very excited producer Anushka, the New Year's Eve episode of EastEnders of 2016, a writer of vitality, wit and compassionate tenderness. She makes a natural translator for Chekhov. She identified in him the capacity to create characters defined by their complexity of grace and cuntishness, and she captures that contradiction with as much vitality as any of her peers. She's not even 25 years old. I hate her very much indeed. <laughs> and you Reese, welcome to the Royal Court podcast. Oh, I feel so much better now. I'm very glad. That was my job. I could talk job. to anyone if you start, if you start going, you're great. Fine. Um, I would. I have a question which I asked uh, everybody who comes in here. I wanted to kick off asking you this question, which was, when was the first time that you went to the theatre? Theatre. Yeah. Um, I think my mum used to take me to Barbican Shakespeare. 
like once a year as a kid. Um, and I didn't, I didn't watch anything modern until I had my first play on there. So the first play you, you had produced was the first contemporary play you ever saw? Well, no. When, once they said they were going to put it on, I went and saw Jerusalem. Oh, and nice. And that was the first like, new bad, play I'd ever seen. That's not a bad first new yeah, play to start. but they made me shit myself. No, every other like... play written before Jerusalem was as good as Jerusalem. Yeah. That was just an example. I was like, do I have to be that good? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it's quite daunting. But so yeah, you, I didn't really think of it as something that, you, that people wrote their own plays until, right. until I started the Royal Court Writers Group. So, um... What were the mem- What were the Shakespeare's you saw? Was it the Royal Shakespeare Company production? I don't know. I think so. I think yeah. that's what they used to be. They, yeah, they used to do all their all their work. Yeah, the I think it was that. Yeah. I think I can't remember anything properly. I remember Tempest. How I remember having you? to leave the Tempest because it was too loud. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you? I think I think he's, I think my mum started when I was about seven or wow. something. I think because in her head she went, "It's the only way you ever like." She knew I'd have to study it. She went, "You only like it if." if you're used to not understanding it, if that makes sense. Because right. I think people come yeah. to it at, like, 14, they're like, I don't understand half the words on the page. Yeah. So I hate it. And then yeah. she went, you're not going to understand half it, because when you're seven, you don't understand half the stuff that's going on around you anyway. Yes. So you just watch it and pick up bits, and are like, oh, that was funny when that happened, or mm. when the guy fell over. Yeah. And then I think it's in her head that would help me appreciate Thea later. And, and did it? Yeah. 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 No, I quite like Shakespeare. Don't, like, it's made me worse about modern plays. You grew up in London? Yes. In uh, South London. In South London. Um, but went to school around the corner. And that's why my voice is so confused. Which is another reason I hate doing podcasts, because I can then listen back to my voice and I go, do you, where do you think you come from? Where do you, what do you identify the source of the confusion in your voice? Because I, I, I grew up in South London. Whereabouts? And went to, in Camberwell. Mm-hmm. And I went to the local like, Peckham Theatre group. And then I went to school, and so I wasn't posh enough for that, but I was too posh for the other one. <laughs> so whenever I'm anxious, I get really South London. Oh, and then you? my family is like, what are you talking like? And then when you relax, does the... Yeah, I, the... Get, I get more RP, but it's because I'm because I used to doing acting in my head. Is mm. I'm in Peckham, and so I'm dropping my accent. And then at, and then at home, like you t- I talked to how my parents talked. I do want to ask about... I'm sure everybody asks you about this to the point that it's really tedious. I actually mm. wanted to ask you what a canon does, and a canon at Westminster Abbey. I don't quite know. <laughs> um, it's, like the, it's like there's the dean, and then there's the four underneath. So, so the dean is the head of the abbey. Yeah, and right. then they take it. The four of them take it as a every month. They have a month where they're like in charge. Right. And so they'll do every service, like every weekend service and the, the evening stuff. So it's like you do a residence where you you're actually doing the job. So his work was uh, was as as a writer and a presenter of new writing. <laughs> <laughs> new writing. I don't know if he's like that. <laughs> but he would write sermons. Yeah. 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 Did you go and watch him? Uh, when I was little. When yeah. when he was uh, he used to work, he used to be like a local vicar of a church, mm-hmm. and I used to I used to do Sunday school, and go to go to see him at the end, and then when I grew up enough to make my own decisions, I decided not to go to church Sunday school. Sure, yeah, I mean you've spoken uh, about you know his attempts to persuade you to not be an atheist. Yeah. And well, I don't know if it was even attempts. It was just like right. a, a vague like I should have a go. Like, I don't think, <laughs> yeah. but it yeah. was more like just listening to my mum go because my mum's an atheist, right. and my mum being like, "Oh, there's no God, don't worry about it," and my yeah. dad just being in the dining room, kind of be like, oh, "Maybe, <laughs> maybe," from the other room. It was more like that. As you're thinking about it, changed in adulthood, or are you not really? I'm definitely still atheist. Yeah. I think I, I've got more respect for it, yes, and for being religious than I used to. I used mm-hmm. to kind of, I think, in that arrogant way, just be like, "Oh, you're just an idiot," and right. now, I've, now I've got more respect for it, but more actually. Um, not to sound like too like 
liberal poster girl, but it's more through my Muslim friends that I've heard them talk about it. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, how can you be religious? And they talk about it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of pretty. I kind of get it. Mm. I'd never, I've never felt that with the way, not to be mean about my dad, but the way he talks about it, I've never gone like, oh, it's beautiful, I understand it. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that like a very alien thing. There's an area of theatre about the religious presentation, especially in some, well, like Westminster Abbey, mm. though, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, in terms of, I always remember my uh, agent, Mel Kenyon, saying to me that one of the roots into playwriting was uh, being raised a Catholic. Because if you're raised a Catholic, you get a very rich understanding of interrupted ritual. <laughs> you know, there are rituals deep in Catholicism, and I, you know, similar in Church of England, mm. maybe not quite as extreme. But did you? Did you? I think I think it was a little bit of me that you know how much because I was into theatre as little. Yeah. You are looking at it and go, I know how much this is theatre. I know <laughs> I know how much you're dressing up bullshit because that's what I like doing. Like, <laughs> I, that's why I think when I talk to people that have got. A, much simpler belief or don't like necessarily go to the mosque every day or do that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. just it's just part of who they are I've got more respect for it mm-hmm. than that kind of big ceremony stuff because I'm like just go to the theatre then like go to the, like I just don't get the, the how you why you need to dress up something if it's meant to be simple I'm getting religious this is not helpful <laughs> it's not unhelpful though <laughs> <Yeah>. it's not <laughs> it's not it's not unhelpful this is the joy of a podcast yeah we can talk about whatever we want to um, when you say you were into uh, theatre as a as a as a kid, what was what was your involvement in youth theatre? Like as an actor, I did I did NYT. In yeah, in, I yeah. did NYT when I left Camberwell. What does that mean doing NYT? Because I'm I actually I mean I know what it stands for. It stands yeah. for National Youth Theatre. But what did that involve actually doing? I did a two week course. Right, so you went and to just the National went and got youth drunk for two weeks. In, <laughs> where was that based then? Eastlington. Right, so you got to Eastlington, do a two week course in acting. Yeah. Yeah. He stayed get, up there. And get drunk with the other actor mates. Yeah. yeah. Well, Who were you there with? Were there anybody who went on to... I wouldn't remember. Right. I think I think some of them... I've got friends with someone on Facebook and I'll sometimes see, like, oh, you're on stage at the RSC, shit. <laughs> but, like... No, there's a whole, like... Because working with Luke Treadaway on Curious Incident, mm. he was there with his brother Harry and with Matt Smith at the I was part time. of the young bit, though. Right, OK. Like, cool. I did it when I was 13. And I think other people do it more when they're 16, 17. That's when you start. Also, I think you're in the room and you go, oh, that person's brilliant. They're going to be someone. Why Whereas when you're 13, you don't really. Yeah, you don't care. That was just about, can I get served? Exactly. Why did you go to the youth theatre in, in Peckham? What drew you to that? Um, well, I feel bad slagging off my school, but it's because drama was so shit at my school. Don't feel bad slagging my, off anything well, that you want to slag off. <laughs> I feel bad for the school. Right. But um, it was so bad there, and my mum my mum went and watched our Christmas. It's my mum, really, all of it. Yeah. Um, went and watched... Um, the Christmas Carol concert, where we all got told we had to sparkle, and that was like the only direction you got. <laughs> <laughs> and like you had to scream. I might in use the that next time I'm in yeah, rehearsal. Just, that's all you only know. It's sparkle. Just sparkle. You know like, what's that mean? Just you sparkle. sparkle. A bit more on that line. And and she just went because my mum like she's not into theatre at all, but mm. she enjoys watching it and yeah. like has her strong opinions on mm. stuff. And I think she watched that and went, my daughter's going to hate this. If yeah. this is her only experience of it. Yeah. So she took me to the little drama group at um, in Peckham. What did your mum do, can I ask? She's, she was a housing journalist and then she started a button a button business. Right. So her interest in theatre seems quite... I mean, she's quite evangelical about you getting involved in theatre. Yeah, no, I think it was more that she just she just saw I was a little show-off kid. 
And then she went, oh, she's going to hate it. And if her only direction is to sparkle, she's going to be a cunt as well. So I better take her somewhere to solve this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No understanding of what that yeah. will mean. She's going to come home and say, I'm sparkling, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. She's like, take her to Peckham, let her get a kicking. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. Sparkle there, sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> and what was it like? What was it like in Peckham or, or the NYT? It was good. It was lovely. That oh, that's, yeah? my, that's my contemporary, John Boyega was my Great. contemporary. Great. Who I actually once... Um, I haven't seen him since now we've grown up, but mm. I was doing an audition. Uh, we were auditioning for Spur of the Moment. Mm. And I thought I saw him running down the stairs. And mm. I went, John, never be John. How would John get here? And now John's like the biggest star yeah. ever. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it, it was good. It was nice. It's like, it's like musical theatre. It's for kids stuff. It's like musical theatre. Mm-hmm. But... Um, they were they were quite good because the woman there would always make you do classes on the stuff you hated most. So I'd do lots of tap dancing classes and stuff, and it kind of taught me that all the all the shit you have to do in order to do the stuff you love to do. Yeah, if that makes sense. I think yeah. it instilled quite a good work ethic of yes. me. Yes. Yeah. Which I haven't got anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But like even even with writing stuff, it's a bit like oh I'm gonna have to do all this stuff I hate like planning it. And then I'll get to write the swearing, which is all I like. <laughs> so you you owe that to your to your your yeah your to my tap dancing class. Yeah. <laughs> That's really great. The, um, why did you come to the Royal Court Young Writers Program when you were fourteen? My mum. <laughs> was it? Oh, it really was. She's my new hero, your yeah. mum. <laughs> no, because because uh, I she always put me on like an act. She'd always find something because we never went on holiday when I was little. She'd always try and find something for the half term, mm-hmm. and she couldn't find an acting one. She went, "I know you're going to hate it, but it's a writing one. You get to be in the theatre, and it's apparently a famous theatre." And so it just did. She know about the Royal Court, or it's I think she of... knew of it, yeah. but she she never went. Like I say, we did RSC barbecue yeah. shakes. It was just yeah. very like, oh, it's the RSC. That must be fine. Like she's not experienced in it. Yeah. Okay. It's like a, it's a real lovely amateur kind of. Quite often, kids who engage in drama. Mm. Uh, from a kind of adolescent and pre-adolescent kids who are engaged in drama, have a more complicated relationship with like li- what is, I think, perniciously described as literacy mm. in schools, and kind of hate the gesture of sitting down to write. Yeah. When I go into schools and uh, work with kids now, if I if they're expecting a drama workshop and I get them to write things. Mm. You can feel the resentment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but was that the same for you, or were you a writer be- as well? As I think I never quite realised. Now looking back, I realised that I really liked the writing bit when other people would be hating it. And right. I remember I once did a, a, one of my many summer courses things. Uh, mm. They they made you do a, ch- a Shakespeare and said, "I'll oh, write it in modern speak." Mm. Just to just to, and it was meant to be us demonstrating. As we got in little groups, we meant to do it as a group, and it was meant to be us demonstrating that we understood it. So then we could act it. Yeah. And all the rest of the group couldn't really be bothered to do it. And I just sat aside and I did like 20 pages. And the teacher came back and was like, the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's only half a page. It's like, no, we're performing it all. Like, and, I, and then I gave it to them and I went, I don't need to do it. And I think, so. but looking at the time, I thought that was just me enjoying acting yeah. and liking being in control of shit. But now I'm like, oh, I think I really liked so you, you, you writing kind of stuff. accidentally stumbled into the writing yeah. as, a, as a consequence of the acting. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. Did you ever write in other forms? No. Oh, apart from when they make you at school. But right. no, it was it was only my only interest in writing was ever about writing stuff I could do. And then slowly I realised I wasn't very good at doing it and didn't really enjoy doing it. And mm. actually maybe I enjoyed making the stuff for myself to do more than I enjoyed. Who taught you at the Royal Court? Uh Simon Vinicum did my half courts, half term yeah. courses, and he's the one who made me go on the proper adult one and then it was Leo Butler. 
you've been quite uh, public and already on this podcast, even though you said you didn't want to, <laughs> you've been quite public about criticising the school you went to. Yeah. Uh, you know, you didn't enjoy school. No. No, not at all. I was, I, was, I was amazingly unpopular. Not the school's fault, just my own. But just, like, I just wasn't happy at school. Like, li- leaving... It was my... Again, my mum recently said she she was like, God, I, I never realised how unhappy you were until you were, like, 18. Right. Yeah. And then I just thought, well, as soon as I moved out from home, I was really happy. And I think she thought that was soon moving out from home. And then I was like, oh, I, just, I think I just fucking hated school. What was the school you went to? It's front sun in Sloan Square, around right. the corner. And still never went through all court once. Right. Like. But um, some people, you know, I was, I had some rubbish time. Sorry, that's my gin. That's your gin. <laughs> <laughs> Slurping on a gin. You know, I had a lot of rubbish times at school. What I tended to do at school was to throw myself harder into work because mm. I was having, I was so unpopular as well yeah. like, with my kind of peers. So I just would hide in reading and hide in writing and things yeah. like that. But that, that wasn't the case for you. I mean, I worked, I worked hard, yeah. but I think I... I I always, I think that's why I was so vastly unpopular when I was younger. Mm. So I always was very sure that I should be really popular. So right. I'd force my company right. on people quite a lot. Yeah. And I think I, I slowly worked my, like, by sick form, I, like, I, I had friends and stuff. Yeah. But it, it was a very, like, um, forcing my company on the room. And yeah. it was more like I should be working, but I was like, oh, I should just be standing in the, this common room shouting at people until they pay enough attention to me. It sounds so obnoxious. No, but I think it, it, it came it from like look. shyness as yeah. well. It's like that kind of like I won't be shy, so I'll kind of make myself a nuisance. And then if people hate me, they'll hate me. But I will have given them a reason, so then they can't hate me for just me being trying to be nice. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm doing it a therapy it... session now. No, no, <laughs> not at all. I mean, it's all you know. All imaginative writing is a form of kind of therapy, isn't it? Yeah. All therapy is a form of imagining. The um, it doesn't it it, it makes a, a a great amount of sense. And it's interesting from a dramatist's point of view because it's about manifesting feeling as action. Mm. You're feeling a certain yeah, way, yeah. so you do a certain thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of what a dramatist is interested in, is the things that people do yeah, to make I think sense of what they're feeling. Also, it's yeah. one of the things that I think I always find very hard to explain when we get to rehearsals of stuff, of things I've written, yeah. is often the actor, go, the actor will go, like, why am I doing that? I'm like, oh, because you want this and this and this. And they're like, so they're doing the opposite of the thing that will make <laughs> them that happen. And I'm like... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, isn't that what normal people do? Exactly, <laughs> and but it, and we, which is why actors should never improvise text because they would never realise that, and yeah. also why you're a great translator for Chekhov because nobody yeah, understood maybe. that more brilliantly than he did. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Actually, people nearly always do the opposite of what they ought to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 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 so, but what I was going to ask you, the question I was working my way to ask you, was uh, what did Simon Vinnikin, mm. who's a really Sorry. underrated playwright, I think, mm. and, and Leo Butler, who is finally getting the credit that yeah, he deserves sure. what did they give you in those courses that you weren't getting at school I think I think it was it was helpful um, well even with Simon even though I was on a kids course he treated me like an adult yeah and I think that's just something that you can't get at school mm. and um, it's just I think it's just also you, you're here for so someone's come up to you and be like oh you like Simon came up to him like oh I think you're good and you never get that at school. You get like, oh, you've got a slightly better mark than you got last. There's no one comes to you and goes, oh, you particularly, mm. or something. And and just time with them both, like at the court, like that you always have those hour sessions where you go and get to talk about your idea, and yeah. you get an adult to listen to your idea, and then tell you, oh, I don't think that bit's good, but I think this bit's good. And at school, it's it's always about that won't get you the mark, so don't write that bit. Yeah, and this was good. about, oh, I don't think that's good, 
and I kind of you could respect it a lot more. Yeah. Because it was about how to be good at the thing you wanted to be good at, rather than how to get the mark you wanted to get if you want to get into the school, if you want to get into uni. Yes, very good. It was just all like a, it felt like everything at school is a like a tick on the way to something else that yeah. you're not even got yet, and maybe you don't even want to do that thing at the end. But this was like, oh, you want to write a play? That sounds like a shit idea. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. And it's just all a lot more manageable. So my observation that you're a kind of rejection of of Blairite of Blairism is actually really held true. Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> so. the education yeah. structure you describe is the post-Blair education yeah. structure, where the, which is the move from, of universities, for example, from the Department of Education to the Department of Trade and Industry to get their funding. Mm. It's a deliberate movement away into trade yeah. and industry. I mean, my, uh, I did a connections play about not go, about uh, based off the fact that I didn't go to uni. Mm. But my, my this why I like you said, the Tony Blair thing, I went, oh, I was right. My uh, quote I did at the beginning was education, 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 Tony Blair. <laughs> 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 the, um, the, there's a further level though which is interesting to me because I've done a lot of teaching of playwriting mm. and one question I'm, always, I'm often asked is is it possible to teach playwriting mm. so the question I wanted to ask you is is it possible to learn playwriting is there stuff that you learn from Simon or Leo uh, specific concrete things or are there other experiences that benefited you as a writer I think apart from the praise and the uh, intelligent Criticism yeah, yeah. Of the I think I think particularly the thing that Leo did, which was really helpful, is he tells you all the things you should know about being a playwright, and then kind of in his in his loose way, kind of goes, "But no one needs to do any of that shit." <laughs> what and, like? But, Can you give an example? He just, he just teaches you what a structure is. He teaches you open like open time and closed structure, uh, closed time, closed time, open place, and yeah. all that stuff, and mm -hmm. a three act structure and a John York five act structure. And he goes, "But no one needs to do that." But right. it's just very useful just having all that tools there to then know if you're rejecting them or not rejecting them rather than that slightly like, oh, I'm writing something. And then someone goes, oh, where's your inciting in it, like, incident? And you can say, oh, I decide not to have one rather than, what the fuck is that? Yeah, like, very good. Yeah, really clear. It, it, like, it just helps you decide, make, make choices rather than feel like you're at the mercy of a story. I think that's, in, in my experience, the only thing that can be really taught. It's just like all the things you need to know, so then you can you have the power to reject them rather than just be follow your story, yeah, like good. on your hands and knees and try and keep up with it. I feel now like oh, I can write it down and work it out and work out how I want to tell it. Does that make sense? Such perfect yeah. clear sense, yeah, and <laughs> and, uh, and exciting to me as well as a teacher because that's what I think I try and do. Yeah, is illustrate to people what weapons they've got in their arsenal. Yeah, or actually, that was the nice thing when we did the uh, the lyric course. Yeah, because we worked together in, a, in in the group at the yeah, lyric. Yeah, and you and Sean were doing it. Yeah, yeah, because you were talking about how to write plays for plays for big stages, mm. and the nice thing was we were all talking about all the things that those plays have got in common. And yeah. in the end, it was like you never have to write a play to have those things. Yeah, but it's just useful to know to understand that understand what you yeah. can do, what you can use to have yeah. things something you can use rather than something you need to obey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The um... so tell me about. Writing the acid test. Did that start mm. off in conversations with Leo? What was the starting point for that? I'm trying to remember. I think I think I think I'd mostly written it mm. and um in between courses. And then I came in and did a session where um we got everyone we were we were allowed to run the session how we wanted. Yeah. And I went, Oh, it's my session, everyone read my play. Right, and I right. just got everyone to read out, and I had like Alexi K. Campbell and E. B. Crow and stuff, and they all played. Then probably the best version <laughs> that you'll ever see, because also I was just sitting there going, "This is great," because <laughs> so they were the, quite good at acting. So, so the writers who were in this would be the invitation group. Was yeah, it? yeah, yeah. So Alexi K. Campbell, 
Evie Crow would be sitting reading the first draft of the acid yeah. test by Anya Reese. If that's not a, a great moment of contemporary <laughs> theatre history. Yeah, it was, I think it was Penny Skinner as well, and there's a few other people did it, and it was just, it was quite bizarre. And also because Alexi's obviously trained as an actor as well. You're just like, yeah, this is good a actors. stunning performance. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to listen to it going, like, he might be acting around what you're Who was he playing? Was he playing? He was playing the dad. He was playing the dad, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's when, because um, Alexi's quite sexy. Mm. And so I, that's yes, where I think the next draft, it, the dad became much sexier because <laughs> that's going. <laughs> and he was so charming. Yeah. And he was just like, oh, this is this. He should be like the kind of half seducer of them all. And Great. I think before that was a, that was an end point. I wanted, to, I wanted to get to the. Um, I always knew I wanted to have that. There's a kiss where the mm. dad kisses the daughter, mm. and um, calls then calls her by the wife's name. But I never had all the, um, uh, all the all the kind of. I had the other girls thinking he was like a paragon of wisdom, but I never had them kind of being like, oh, maybe we should get off with him. And yeah. that's all Alexi, yeah. <laughs> just being yeah. charming. Yeah. The, um, and um, with, so with Spur of the Moment as well, mm. the, where, what was the starting point of that? That was, that was literally um, my, uh, the play I wrote, the first, first play I ever wrote yeah. had like echoes of the, the, Argument that's inspired the moment about tea and coffee yeah. comes from my first ever thing I ever wrote. When was that? On when, my fourteen-year-old, fourteen yeah, year with yeah. Simon, and then I did a I did a session with Simon when he said I think you should go on the adult course, and I was like, oh, I don't understand what's wrong with um, like, because we were talking about the play that I'd submitted, yeah, and he went, well, for starters, it's ten pages. Right. And I was like, oh, can that not go on? And he went, no, plays are usually 45 pages or yeah. like 70 pages. Yeah. And even to me, that was brand new information. Right. So I think um, I took that bit out and then it was, I think, on the first course with Leo, I kind of worked it into... Had you worked on it in between? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'd, I'd added like a breakfast scene and things like that to, right. to flesh out my 10-minute And this thing. was while you were at school? Yeah. So writing in the evening on the, or yeah. the weekend or yeah, something yeah, yeah. to flesh out that initial scene? Yeah. And taking that to Leo, and then I lifted no, and then I lifted out the parents' characters and a few other little bits into a new play, which was the first play I worked with, which I did on the first course with Leo. Yeah, we'd actually done an exercise on home, and about right about your place you used to live, and because I used to have a lodger when I was younger. Can you tell me what that exercise is? So you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> so I can do it, or anybody listening to this can do it, um, and then we'll have a whole generation yeah. of plays initiated by the exercise based on I can't, I can't home. remember properly. I think it was just like he he just went right down a place you just live, and it was yeah. almost like you know how you do your character. Yeah. One, and then it's you ask like a hundred questions around yeah. the character. Yeah. It was like that. He went, Nate, just write down a place you used to live, and he'd be like, "Who was the most important person to you when you lived there? Yeah. Who was a, who was the person you would never say this to? What was the worst thing you ever did when you lived there?" And yeah. it was like slowly fleshing out this place. Mm. But then he said after a while, he went, "Now you can stop writing, stop writing the truth, and you can start writing what you want from that." And right. so you had this basis of truth that I'd built up, mm. which I'd lived in a in a house in Surrey, with with my uh, my mum away a lot and my dad working a lot, mm. and then actually at the time not getting on particularly well mm. and um, having a lodger and how he was the one I'd go and talk to and stuff. And this then was when the I flipped, imagine. Oh, no, that yeah, was that's the, the real. Yeah, and okay. then it flipped over into, oh, you're allowed to write what you want. Yeah. And then at the end he went, oh, has anyone got any, like... I think he was like, well, the dramatic questions that could come from that situation. Yeah. And then that's and then I was like, oh, and I've already written these two parents and this kind of half of the world in my first play. Yeah. So I kind of had characters ready-made. I lifted into the... To that yep. exercise. Great. 
said that. So, much so it, was the synth- it was the synthesis of those, yeah. of those two. Yeah, so different- he's like yeah. perfectly my first play. He's totally half Simon and half Leo. Oh, that's a lovely satisfying. thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's a really lovely thing. Um, what was the process of finishing that and, de- and, and delivering it? Do you remember? Or did, like, was Leo's reaction to it? it? was just like, this is brilliant, I'm giving it to the literary department, we're going to get this on. I think, well, it was when it was the adult courses, though, so it was, they were just automatically submitted. So, the, um, so because that was different to when I was working here. Oh, okay. At the end of the adult courses, every play that the students write would be given to the literary department yeah. to be read yeah. and the artistic team to be read. Yeah, because it was still the... Um, it wasn't the invitation group, but it was like you'd submitted work to get on the group, sure. and they used my work as on the half term course yeah. to be my submission. What, how old were you when you were doing that? Sixteen. Sixteen. Okay. I yeah. think I know I was in school uniform, so right. So, so we changed the... in John Lewis toilets. <laughs> <laughs> what was the? Uh, what was the? Uh, so how did you hear that they were interested in it? They were going to do it. I think I did a. I did a. They did a reading. That was it. They did a reading, and um, then after that, I went and had a meeting with with Dominic, and Dominic gave me a few gave me a few notes, and I came out, and I was all shocked because I'd had notes, and I wasn't really used to that from because yeah. like with Leo and stuff, it'd be more like feedback. It wouldn't be like they each change this, she change yeah. that. Leo would ask questions. Yeah. So it was the first time I'd ever had notes, and I walked out all downhearted, and Ruth Little, who was the literary manager then, yeah. went to me. You know that means he's putting it on, and I was like. No, he just said that he wants me to change this bit. <laughs> like, and she went, no, that's really good. He's going to do the play. And I was like, I don't believe you. And they'd take back in. And I went, this is really, you're putting it on? And he went, yeah. <laughs> I just said that. And I was like, oh, I was just thinking about how you made me change something. I was getting upset. So, yeah. That's a really lovely story. Yeah. And in, and you so if all you'd seen was Shakespeare, the, the RSC Shakespeare's at the Barbican. Yeah, pretty to, much. And, to... and, and I suppose the, the plays I'd been in. Like right. at school and stuff like that. Like obviously you get a bit more of experience of, yeah. but didn't really go to the theatre. The theatre. And what was the rehearsal process like for? Um, oh, it was nice because we did a we did a special event night yeah. where um, Je- Jeremy, who ended up directing it, yeah, um, directed that day because they did an event night. It was something to do with cheap tickets for kids mm-hmm. or something, and they did yeah. that. And because he directed it, it was really nice. So we had a day together and kind of worked out how we worked together. Yeah. Um, and also quite nice because it was just a totally different cast. So then, when you come to a new, when you come to auditioning people, you feel like oh, you've already seen a few faces rather than that yeah. first time when the first face you see, you're like oh, well, you're obviously it. Right. And then because I remember the first the first few times auditioning, you just so feel like like the, the, the you see someone do it one way and you're like oh, I'd never had no idea it could be done that way. Yeah. You must you must be a genius. Yeah. And then the next person comes and does a different way, and then I just felt like you got brain jam. Yes. Of too many interpretations on something which you thought could only be read one way. Yes. Because I've never seen other people do it any other way than the way I'd read it to myself. Yeah. Yeah. The. Uh, I don't think I answered your question. Though. No, I think you I just went somewhere really different. Really well. So you were at school. You're in sixth form. Mm. You were doing your A levels as you were in rehearsal. Yeah. You, yeah, you were doing your. No, uh, doing auditions and stuff. I was doing A levels. Right. But, so that um, must have been quite weird to rock up after A levels to do, to meet the people who were trying to be in your play. I think I just didn't get it, because right. because I had because I had, it's only now that I think back and I go oh that was weird that I was like ducking out on free periods to run across <laughs> the road, but it was like at the time it's just so because like I said I didn't go to the theatre 
I didn't get that the Royal Court was a big thing. I didn't get that, like, actors coming in to audition it, that the people, like, really, their living was being an actor and they were coming in to do it. It was just like, oh, someone's coming in and reading that thing. Yeah. And it just so felt like the holiday course and, like, this little evening thing that I did. It never felt that big a deal. There must have been something quite freeing about not being aware of that or not... Yeah, know. well, I, I, also, it's not really freeing because you you're not aware that you're free of anything. It's only right, now right. that I look back and I go, oh, that was fun, wasn't it? Well, you didn't <laughs> yeah. worry what like, the Telegraph would say. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I had yeah. no idea that it was fun then. Yeah. I remember the night the night before our press night, Jeremy was standing, we were having a cigarette outside, and he went, I do you like people like it? And I was like, what do you mean? And he went, oh, I just hope, you know, people don't sleep. It could go either way, isn't it? And I was, it just it never occurred to me. That there was a possibility yeah, that it that, might that be Yeah, that even that people were coming in to say, like, whether they liked it or not. And yeah. it's just like, oh, it's just going on. It's like, you know, how if, if you're in a school play, no one says, oh, I hope people like you. It's like, no, it's a school play. It's just, <laughs> it's just happening. <laughs> So, and then he kind of looked at me, freaking out. He went, "Sorry." <laughs> so he'd introduced the possibility yeah, of rejection to you, public, public humiliating yeah. rejection to you. Yeah. Was it done in the confines of the Young Writers Festival, or was it no. done as an independent no. production? No, no, no. Yeah, I think I think it was just. I think that's only because it was just out of sync of. And people didn't hate it. People loved it. It was a successful production. It was really well reviewed. Yeah. It went on to win two, three awards, three major awards. What was that like? Same thing, I think. Just, just no idea. Right. I think that my biggest, my biggest thing was um, with the acid test, and I was like, "Oh, I'm ready for this again." Mm. And then you don't get an award, and you're like, "Oh, this sucks." Like yeah. I was, I kind of, I kind of. It sounds ridiculously arrogant, no, but I thought that that's what that that's what happened happens, when you wrote a play. Really? Yeah. And I think also, the Evening Standard Awards, I think I realised were a big deal. Because everybody only, goes dressed up like yeah, a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and because it was when I just started going out with Toby, who's my husband now. Right. It was, we'd only been going out like two months. Mm. And I brought him there and I was, I was freaking out, going, oh, what if I have to go up on stage and shit, there's Michael Gambon kind of thing. Mm. And he was like, oh, I'm going to go outside. And I was like, why aren't you being supportive? And then a few, a few months later, he said, Cause I, was, I was like, who the fuck are you? Where have you brought me? What's going on? Because <laughs> like, he, he thought this was like my world and didn't realise that I myself was going like, I don't know what's going on. I don't yeah. know why Michael Cameron's here. <laughs> <laughs> like, who gave you the award? Who gave you the Evening Standard uh, Award? Benedict Cumberbatch. That must have been a dislocating moment of oddness to go up on stage at 18 years old to get the award from Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, Combos. I was quite had, drunk. By that point, <laughs> had you realised that this was a bit unusual? Yeah, no, well, I, I got it more when it was a beautiful speech, but um, we were sitting right at the front and Liam Neeson got up to talk about how it's just become the um, Natasha Richardson Award. Yeah. And then we, me, and, me and Toby kind of looked at each other like, wow. I don't yeah. know what's going on. Like, yeah. This has got really weird. This isn't just like famous people happen to be here. This is like famous people up on stage and naming awards after their wives. And yeah. 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 I, I got it was a big deal, but it just all felt, felt very surreal and very, very disconnected to the work mm. and like the process of having a play on and stuff. It I mean, it like is this, disconnected yeah, from the work is the point. It is nothing to do with the work. Yeah. It's just dazzly. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you go back from then... To go back into the story of writing the acid test. I'd, I'd already written the acid test. Right. Yeah, luckily. Like, I did I did rewrites and I came in and did the redraft with uh, Alexi's Sexy Boys and stuff. Yeah. But um, I'd, I'd already written a first draft before any of the award stuff happened. 
because I had, I had a bit of a delay between my first play going on and actually it going, but between being told it was going on and it going, and it going on, on yeah. because Dominic wanted to wait for me to finish my A-levels before it actually went on. That was very mature I know. Because <laughs> I remember sitting there going, why don't I have to wait? Because you've got exams. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Put it on now. Because, I mean, the, an observation I'd, I've often made is the theatre industry can, uh, in, in many different levels, exaggerate its response to the early plays of female writers mm. to a degree that's not necessarily helpful. Yeah. Because uh, quite often, all of us as writers, we write things without knowing how we've written the things that we've written. Mm. And then there's a tremendous pressure to do it again. Yeah. Without, we've not really got any clue how we did it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. next time, people are waiting for the award-winning one. Yeah. Did you feel that, or am I projecting...? No, well, I think I think I would have felt it if I hadn't written Acid Test already. Already, yeah. I think it was more the plays after that. Yeah. And then when also, because because your first, your first two... I had I had a, people say no to stuff in between, but it always been very like, oh, but the next, like, we'll do the next thing. I yeah. think after I'd had two plays on, yeah. no-one felt like they needed to give me a break. Then right. there was There was less of that, like... Oh, beautiful work! Let's see your next thing. People are like, yeah, no, I don't really like it. Right. And that's when I think I came up against the kind of, I had I had my difficult second album syndrome, but I had it actually as my third. Yeah. Like. So, have you, so you'd written plays that didn't get produced. I wrote one in between, um, right. Acid Test and Spellmine. And then after Acid Test, written further plays that didn't get. Yes. Produced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I have the only connection is my only original thing. Right, I've since the acid then. test, yeah. yeah. But that might be because you've not written anything. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so what was that like? To write plays for the commissioned plays? Yes. Yeah. Yes, sometimes. And, sometimes yeah. not. It's yeah. like a then, range, a range of rejection. Is it? Yeah. How many? I think about five. Right. Different. Which yeah. isn't that extreme, but I think it just feels like then you'll get the I'm doing these adaptations which I really enjoy doing. Yeah. But then it's very frustrating when you get reviews going, When's your next plan? I'm like, you tell me. You think Yeah, you do, so it's not my yeah. fucking decision to do another check off. Yeah, we don't <laughs> program theatres, do we? Yeah. Yeah. Um Go on. Yeah, no, I just I think that's been the frustration more because then then you start second guessing yourself, going like, oh, should I should I adapt more because it's making everyone go do your originals, but I don't want to not work in the yeah. theatre because otherwise you end up doing like you can get lost because you can make money and get just lost in TV processes and development yeah. of being in yeah. EastEnders. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I've left EastEnders is just to kind of cut short this 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 very easy ride I was getting where I could go, oh, I'm getting rejected by this, but I don't care, I'm working with BBC. Like, I'm getting yeah. easy money and yeah. Danny Dyer makes up his lines anyway, so I'm not even working. <laughs> 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 the, um, uh, I'm interested in uh, what an average working day is for you. What do you do? Do you have a working day? Where do you write? Um, I've got study at home. Right. Um, I didn't used to. I used to, like I, I said when we did the lyric course, I mm. used to I used to work in my living room with my TV on, and I found that much easier. I, I think because uh, I got married and moved in with well, even when I moved in with my boyfriend, it changed my process a lot. Yeah. Because it used to be you could just sit in the living room. I I'd kind of get I'd kind of move from the sofa, at like two o'clock onto the like the computer chair. And then start working vaguely at Two o'clock in the four. afternoon. Because you yeah. decided not to go to university. Yeah. That was an active decision. Well, also Cambridge didn't let me in. Did you apply for Cambridge? Yeah, but I didn't really want to go. 
You applied for Cambridge. But I did apply and I didn't get in. A half cock apply. Yeah. Application. Yeah. Didn't get in. Decided not to go to anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. Was that a genuine gesture of defiance? Was it just like fuck you then, or or did you, or, or was it a more conscious thing? It was. It was more. It was more when I when I I was going to go to drama school. Yeah. And I remember I was out, I was outside and it was it was only Birmingham, but Birmingham I think has produced very good actors. Yeah. Um, I got outside and they were like, because I'd been on the waiting list. Yeah. And they said, oh, if you want, you can come. And I was literally standing in the alley of the Royal Court just yeah. as Dominic had told me he was going to have his going to put the play on. I kind of went, oh, can I defer? And they went, no, it's a waiting list. Like if you're on, you're fucking on. And I was like, oh, I think I just have to apply again then, and kind of ended the phone call. And. Yeah. And so then I, I knew I was having, like, a gap year. Yeah. And then, luckily, I had the acid test on and stuff. And I, I half did Cambridge because my dad was like, why don't you just try? Because if you're, like, in a, in a slightly bitchy way, he's like, if you're meant to be so clever that you're getting these plays on, you should be able to go to the best university. Mm. And otherwise, I will accept you don't want to go to uni mm. but, because then you can't get into the best and mm. maybe you're wasting your time, but you should be able to get in the best. And then the best said no, and so he went, oh, fuck it, fine, leave it. And I, I just kind of felt like I've got got a job going on I can always go back to it and I've just never felt a need to go back to it yeah and yeah. I've watched other friends at uni and I thought I don't think I'd enjoy I, do, I, I prefer sitting in the Royal Court Park getting drunk than sitting in a <laughs> corridor with the white lightning <laughs> like, which I'm a snob the same but I can't yeah. help it <laughs> yeah. so 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 um uh, so when you say you were right, you used to write in front of the television yep. with the computer. This yeah. was your working day after you'd finished your A levels, after the acid test. Yeah, and but even when I was it, when I was writing at home, I'd write with, in my bedroom right. with TV on. What well, and I remember you saying that that was a co- it was almost a conscious thing. Yeah. Because. Yeah, it's like you you just you're not you can't censor yourself because you're only just about managing to concentrate on writing, like and just about concentrate on that. So you don't get emba- I don't get embarrassed about what I was writing. Yeah. Or, or overthink it, or think does it make sense? Because I'd be like, oh, I'm half, I'm half in EastEnders. Yeah. Like actual EastEnders, the show, rather than, rather than writing right, it. Yeah. 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 And it it just helped it helped like break down my own self conscious stuff because otherwise you can so write stuff and be like, oh, what are you doing? You're trying to be romantic. That's really embarrassing. And I've noticed that in my own writing recently. What, it's something I've distract? always done. That, but and I'm just more sanguine about it now that I'll be mm. in the middle of writing a scene. Or writing anything, writing your introduction, mm. and then I'd kind of just hit a little knot, and I'll just go on Twitter, yeah. or go on the BBC sports pages, or go to manunited.com, yeah, just to kind of like take my head out of the panic, yeah, think about something rubbish, and then go back yeah. in. <laughs> but it's quite nice because when I used to do it with TV, it's, mm. it's not even that you hit the knot and then think, oh, I should I should do something to strap myself. It's just you find yourself slowly, and you're like, oh shit, I've been watching that for a while now. Yeah, I should write again. Yeah, because it's just like you just concentration breaks when you're finding something difficult rather than it going like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you look away. Yeah, but I don't really do it anymore because you got your study. Because I got my study, and because because I moved in with my boyfriend, and I like working really late at night. Right, and and he likes like he would work when he used to work late shifts. That was fine. Yeah, because he's in the restaurants. Yeah. So that was much easier because I just worked till three a.m. He'd come home and we'd go to bed. But then yeah. he stopped doing those late shifts, so I've had to like shift my routine yeah. about a bit because mm-hmm. otherwise it gets ten o'clock and you'd want to go to bed together. Yeah. The... <laughs> Relationship <laughs> tips. Now. That is good. The um. So what's your working day now? What time do you start work? Uh, well, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to get back to it. It's just uh, trying to start work about six p.m. Right. And like 
and then have like stop for dinner. Yeah. And like I'm like a isn't it Dario Breen says he writes his best jokes but he, but when he has a new comedy show he buys a bottle of wine. He says my best jokes become between this bit this bit of the wine bottle. Right. And then it becomes shit and then it comes down. Right. Right. But um I I kind of do that now. Yeah. A little bit. So you write in the evening. Yeah. What you do during the day? Night, almost a bit. Sleep. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sleep and watch a lot of trash TV. Right. Like I, I think that's the that's the embarrassing thing. Like he'll he'll come home and see like you're still watching Real Housewives at Beverly Hills. <laughs> Do you have a job? <laughs> you claim you work from home, but, <laughs> but you legibly do. I mean, how many episodes of EastEnders did you write in the end? Twenty six. Right. I mean, that's a proper job. That's thirteen hours of EastEnders. Yeah, it's too much. How did you get that? How did you get that job? Um, I knew um, the the new boss when he came in. He was head of development at a company called Lovely Day, and we yeah. really got in got on. And then he got the job as executive, and he went, "You'll just really enjoy it." Yeah. And did I thought, you? I thought, I. Yes. What did you enjoy? I about really, it? I really enjoyed it. For the, I did it for three years. I really enjoyed the middle year, the first like the year. Bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's just my life. I just enjoy the middle bit. And the beginning was shit because <laughs> I hated school, and the last tw- eighteen years will be terrible as well. <laughs> um, oh, what was I saying? Uh, talking about the, the, your what you enjoyed about EastEnders oh, yeah. and when you enjoyed it. I, I, like I said, I just spent a year shitting myself, just going, I have no idea what's going on. When did you did you write at the BBC? Or what no, you, you write on. You but write. You, you go in for a lot of meetings. And, and when you're right, because I've never done EastEnders. Yeah. Um, what... What like and some people listening to this will also never have written for EastEnders. <laughs> <laughs> so what do, when you say you go into the BBC and you're given a little thing, what does that mean? Oh no, uh, you, sorry, <laughs> they give you um well because I was I was one of the core writers. Right. You go in every three months um, for like a weekend away, and right. that's when you pitch like the big long term stories. Like if you go, Phil Mitchell should have cancer. Right. And then and the bosses and stuff and the story team will be like, oh yeah, maybe Phil Mitchell should have cancer. And then you go in every month and they go, okay, so if Phil's got cancer, what's happening this month? And you go, oh, maybe Phil should collapse on the week three of this, this and this. Right. And then the story team write you up a big document, which is, they'll go like Monday of so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so's writing it. Phil enters the Vic and talks to so-and-so about the fact that he might have cancer. And they, they break it all down for you like that. And then you go in for a commissioning meeting where you go, oh, I don't want Phil to walk into the Vic. I want him to walk into the CAF and talk to so-and-so. About about and it doesn't say that he thinks he's gonna have cancer because he's he's hiding it. But we know as the audience and the story team goes, oh okay okay okay. And then you go off and do that. and You get like five drafts. You got a script editor who makes sure that you don't contradict yourself because you've changed stuff with the rest of people in the week. Yeah. And yeah. then and then they make you they crush your soul and then you they put it on television. When you when you say they crush your soul, what do you mean? Just because it's just relentless the changes. And right. then, then they'll just they'll change the whole. Then it'll be like you've written five drafts of a script, and then they'll go, "Oh, Phil doesn't have cancer. Phil has a cold," and you're like, right. "What? Like, right. What do we do now?" Or they, or they go, "Oh, so and so's broken his arm, so he can't do that driving scene," and and the deadlines get tighter and tighter and tighter, and 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 then and then and the actors do make up a lot of their words. I mean, there's so some after fashion. all that drafting and yeah. all that work. Yeah, sometimes you watch it just going like, "Why? <laughs> like, yeah. Why did you feel the need to change that?" Like, there are some brilliant, brilliant actors that work on it, but I do remember sitting on um, the one time I went in to watch a scene be filmed. Um, I was in the other room listening on the cans. Yeah. Um, and then this guy, this guy, they were reading through. They went, "Oh, let's go to the script." And he went, "Oh, I'm not going to say this fucking shit, man." And got up and walked out, and I just sat there going, "I don't know what to do. Like, do I, do I go after him? It's not my job." Yeah. 
and then you just kind of sit there and the director got him back and they talked about it and they talked it through and like and, and he was going, oh, I just don't know what's saying. It's just such lazy writing. And the, and the guy was like, oh, do you, the writer's here if you want. I don't care if the fucking writer's here. And I was like, I'm going to take these off and I'm going to go outside. And I'm not going to cry, mm. but I'm going to hit something. <laughs> <laughs> like an actor, for yeah. <laughs> I'll just wait for him. You know? yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of... It's, it's really... But the, the other side of it is really nice writing stuff and it happening. Which you don't, you just like, even with the play, the best you can hope is you write something, you finish it, maybe with it, best case scenario, within six months, maybe in a rehearsal room. Yeah. Is there, but this is like, you finish a script, or in TV development, my God, that's like four years before yeah. you see anything back. This is like, oh, my inbox pins, there's my episode of EastEnders. Right. I get to see it, I get to watch it, I get to see when they are doing it, right? You get to see what works and doesn't work, you're and right, where, where the... you should have explained it and where you shouldn't have. So, and... so when you're working on EastEnders, you're you're not subject to rejection. They will do the script. Yeah, well, you can get rewritten. They might rewritten. change it completely, yeah. but they'll do it. You yeah. can get rewritten. Yeah. But um, it, it's basically, it's going to be happening. And it also, I know I'm a much better writer, <laughs> a much better writer at the, the now than I was at the start. Right. Even just in terms of my episodes, if I watch my first episode compared to my last episode, I'm like much better writing. In what sense? I don't, I, well, maybe it's, it's partly learning the the system mm-hmm. and and like how to write how to write with people. But I just think I think you so go into especially TV stuff. But I think it's been a lesson that I can translate to all the rest of stuff. Is you can so write, um, you can so write thinking you can get away with cliches because you think you're better than the system. You think you're better than the system. Mm-hmm. But even even with play stuff, I've written stuff going that will do. That gets away with it. Yes. And then people call you out on it enough, yeah. and you start going, oh, but it's EastEnders, or oh, but it's just this little tiny bit. Why yeah. does it matter? Yeah. And then you just learn to think around it and not think in those cliches and yes, take stuff from a slightly different, take something from underneath rather than all around the side rather than tackle it head on. And then the New Year's Eve one, how many people watch that? I don't know. It's, in the, it's more than 10 million, though, surely. I think it might be, uh, it might be a little bit less than that. Right. It's, it's millions. It, it's definitely more people saw my first episode of EastEnders than saw any play I've ever had yeah. on, probably in well, one go. Like so the curious incident of A Dog in the Nighttime, which mm. has been my most successful stage play, yeah. has been in total seen by about 2 million people. Yeah. So your first episode of EastEnders got to yeah. see my maybe four times as many. Yeah. <laughs> it's mental, isn't it? What's that like as a writer to know that a, a, a fifth of the population are watching your work? Yeah. Or no, do you not even think about it? Yeah, you don't think about it. Right. I mean, I think I think because also you get you in a nice way, but also because of all those things I'm saying, you feel removed from it after a while. Yeah. Which is another reason I've had to I've had to leave is because I, I was getting very removed from other work. Yeah. Because you have to get, you have to get so like, oh fuck it, I'll just do what I, you know, yeah. just let them do what they want. I don't care anymore. Yeah, you have, yeah. you have to develop that attitude a little bit with TV. Yes. And I've always been a real like, cunt in theatre and stuff. Yeah. I've been so perfectionist yes. and like, no, I say my line exactly like that yeah. and working out. And then I've just got a lot more like, oh, I'll do what you want. And I'm like, oh god, I've got to leave these centers. Because it's corrupted your yeah. sense of like. Yeah, commitment and it, to the line. Yeah, and also, yeah. And also just because he's done it after a while, because they've told you so much of the stuff you need to know and you get used to it and it's, it's like, a, it's, it's just a machine. Mm-hmm. But you write something and you go, look, worst comes to worst, I haven't written the episode, give me an afternoon, I can fucking knock it out, I'll hate yeah, it, it won't be yeah. good, but I can do it. Yeah. Like, And then yeah. you push yourself a little bit more and you're like, all right, I've got to rewrite it, give me an hour. Like, yeah, just yeah, not yeah. actually do it for once and not go on Twitter and not... Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. And and then you start having that attitude to other stuff. Yeah. And that's just going to kill everything. Yeah. If you if you look at a your royal court commission going, oh, give me a week. You know? When you how did the Chekhov adaptations come about? Um, Russell Bolam, who directed them, asked me. How did, you, know, how did you come across Russell? Or? On Twitter. Oh, really? Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. I think I tweeted about seeing his. I tweet. I tweeted about seeing one of his plays at the yeah. Southwark. And then I think I was in the bar at Southwark, and he saw me, and he went, and then he tweeted me. He mm. said, he'd, "I'd seen, I've seen you there now. I've just linked it all up in my mind because I've been thinking about this Chekhov thing. Do you want to do it?" He commissioned so you. So combination, Twitter. a combination of Twitter and drinking. Very modern. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you did you know Chekhov's plays before he commissioned you? I did Seagull at school. Right. Um, I didn't really like it at school. Right. I know there's, but, I read an interview yeah. in which you're taught your schoolmates mocked you because you hated it so deeply yeah. at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you hate it? Well, because mainly because it was like at last in English, they were like, we're going to do a play. And because I liked acting, I was like, oh, I can do a play. And then mm. you look at the, you go, oh, you can read Arcadena. And you're like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> just five pages of mm. shit that I don't really understand. Mm. And just talking in a way that... Do you know whose version it was you were reading at school? Like a pet... Maybe yours. <laughs> I have never done the seagull yet, darling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've been long in the evening standards with darling. <laughs> They'll take you right back. Um, no, it was like an old penguin classic. Right, like, okay. you know, when the, the proper... It wasn't... Yeah. It wasn't, like, like, if, if it wasn't you, a contemporary version. Yeah, if they'd given you a contemporary version or like a, a modern playwright exactly. doing it, it might have made a massive difference. Exactly. Exactly. But I think it's just also just it just seems so alien to you. And like and I know that sounds weird saying as they said it's doing Shakespeare and stuff, but I think people told everyone said the teachers go, Oh, it's modern, it's the most cutting edge theatre ever and then you get like, Oh, there was it was the beginning of three sisters and they go, Oh, the clock strikes three. My the, the, this year a year ago my father died and she's talking to her sisters and you're going like but they know <laughs> like, doesn't make it just it just didn't make it like properly I just couldn't compute it in my head yeah how it made sense and then when I came to look read it and go like oh it's it's he's trying to communicate the fact he wants he just, all he wants from that is let the audience know that their father died a year ago. Mm. Just get that information out in a way that a modern play, like the way I would get that information out. Yeah. And then you're fine. And yeah. then you get into it and you go, oh, but then he he deliberately does this and he does what, like all that stuff he's saying about doing doing an action which is completely counterintuitive to what he wants and stuff like that. Yes. But once I managed to remove all that shit that I didn't get, yeah. Just because of just it's like the film of time, you just take it off and you're like, yeah. oh, it's a great play. Yeah. So why have we got to deal with that shit on top? Yeah. Where I'm going and people. Like I know I've I've got criticised a little bit for it, but they go like, oh, Medvedenko. People need to understand that the price of corn really was a big deal. And I'm like, price of mobile phone contracts is a big deal now. Yeah. Just I don't need to read a footnote. Yeah. To understand that oh he's actually genuinely really worried. Yes. About money, I'm like just change it so I understand it. Yes. And then I can understand that it's a great play. I yeah. don't understand it if someone needs to go, you need to understand about Russian gentry in that time. So that's what why the transposition was so contemporary. Yeah, yeah. And things like the mobile phone contracts. Yeah. And, it, was, yeah. it wasn't me trying to be... Because we, we wanted to not make changes just to be a knob and show, oh, I'm clever. Yes, it, or you know, she's or, she, yeah. yeah, or she's she's a TV screen, she's on Strictly Come Dancing or something yeah. like that. I didn't want to yeah. do it like to be... 
to just show off about it. It was just about I literally did not understand it. As you a were kid. writing to your seventeen-year-old yeah. self. Yeah, I was going. How going, would I? This is how? great. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. literally like me pleading with myself, going, "It's a really good play. Just yeah. take all this shit out that you don't get yes. and is annoying you." Yeah. Because that's just this is just a construct of the time. Yes, and it's just it was a convention. They do all that yeah. exposition because because That's audiences have do. an hour long interval, yeah. and that you drink four shots of vodka and have <laughs> have some fucking goulash at the interval. You get back to the act two. You need a big reminder of yeah. what's happened yeah. an hour ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the um uh and and so what did you learn from Chekhov when you were doing? What did you learn from him? I, d- I think the main main th- it's something I tried to do before, but it really taught me it properly was um. Uh, don't judge your char- don't don't judge your characters, really. I think, or don't or don't try and make the audience feel a certain way about them. Yeah. Because I think just maybe it's also just because it's so famous now. But you you hear someone like Constantine, everyone will range in their feelings about him. Yeah. From he's a tortured hero. Yeah. To he's the biggest cunt ever. Mm-hmm. And like almost almost on the little scale of a stalker and evil like. And you can get all that, but mm. when you read it, you're like, oh, it's not there. It does not tell you yeah. whether your men are like this guy or not. Yeah. And it doesn't try and try and sway you or push you or do or do anything. And yeah. I feel like that's something that's often missing in modern plays. There's a lot of like, here's your body. Not here's your body, but because that sounds that sounds like people aren't writing well. But I think there's a lot more. You can tell what the writer thinks. Right. Even if they they pretend that they're presenting both sides, you can see where their voice. Yeah. Or their heads at. Yeah. And I feel like Chekhov. I'm reading. I'm going. Who knows what the fuck he thought? Yeah. Actually, about all of this. Yeah. He just went there. It is. Yeah. Because otherwise, why do you put the voice of like someone genuinely worried about about their family and surviving the winter in the voice of a really really boring teacher that everyone. It doesn't like and is shitting on. It's like, what are you trying to say? What's Chekhov trying to say? Is he trying to say, even even idiots have problems? Is he trying to go, this is a terrible problem and don't ignore that fact? Or does he actually like that guy? Mm. Or is he criticizing everyone else for doing? Like, I have no idea where he's coming from on it. And I'm like, that's the thing I'm trying to learn. It's just to hide myself a little bit, like myself and my opinion on my work mm. in, inside the work. Mm. If that, no, no, not inside the work. But I'm like, hide myself in the work. Yeah. A little bit more. Yeah. I'm allowed to do this stuff, and everyone can listen to it and go, "Oh, she's terrible." You're but allowed I just, to do podcasts or talk. Yeah, yeah talk about because it. that's presenting uh, yeah. yourself. Yeah, but presenting yourself in the work. Yeah. allegedly. I, w- I want people to be able to watch your work and not know what I'm like. Right. I don't mind people knowing what I'm like, but I don't want it to be in the work. Yeah. Do you think anymore. you've been present in the work so far? Do you think you're present? I in think there's. I the think no one would watch the acid test and think that's probably written by a fifty-year-old Jamaican man. Right. Like. And I'm trying to hide myself a little bit more and write a play that you wouldn't go, middle-class white girl. Of course that's what she wrote. Yeah. She's probably about that age. And like, yeah. and, and know that in the Astros, I think you know I'm criticising them. Yeah. And you know, you know I'm, I'm kind of against them all. And yeah. I, I think I could have... Now, if I wrote it again, I'd prefer to have hidden that more. Yeah, or to have been kind to them more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well not even to be kind to them, because that's, that's the Chekhov thing, I think. Not just, yeah. just, just, to, just to hide my hand completely. Right, great. And I think I show it occasionally. I think I, I hid it in, in general, but I think I, I showed it too often. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, no, yeah. Uh, you, it's about the fourth time you've asked if something that's Sorry. made perfect sense. I know, sense I've got a tick. As well. like, <laughs> yeah. It's like a nervous tick. I, I, like, I don't think it's a nervous tick at all. I think there's all kinds of things going on. Like, <laughs> be, you know, being a female, a, young, a youngish female writer, you know, uh, there's, 
I can only imagine. Did you go from young to youngish? Yeah, because I'm just sick of the idea of you being (laughs) 20 fucking four for fuck's sake. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) um, uh, Sorry, I put you on. No, it wasn't. I was was trying to correct what I felt was a patronising adjective because I think you're an important writer. But I imagine as well that the theatre industry will lean in to the Anya Reese play that is a depiction of mm. kind of 24-year-old girls taking drugs and getting smashed and kind of like yeah. behaving in, in a way that is is contemptible. And they might resist the play that could have been written by a 50-year-old Jamaican. Yeah. I, I don't I, know if I you do, found no, that. No, I you do find that. You talked about having plays rejected. Yeah, or, no, it's my biggest frustration now that I'm, I'm now trying to just write a play and people are like, oh, but you're... you're not, not, not to be actually... Sounds bad if you use your own name in a fucking sentence, but it's like no, it feels it's like not. people are going like, "Oh, you're Anya Reese. Why are you giving us a play about this? Yeah. Like, where the where are we going to cast a sexy fucking twenty year old who's going to take her clothes like yeah. half her clothes off and lean yeah. on an older man? I'm like, yeah. sorry, you want to see that? It's not yeah. my like. <laughs> it's not you my can you can commission that all though. on your own. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need me for that. But um, yeah, that that's that's more my frustration, and that's why I think I keep on ending up doing adaptations and stuff again. Because people are going, oh, it's the modern young young voice on the old the old respected play. Because I feel a little bit like no one would let me write the old respected play. Do you think it's sexualised in that way? Do you think there are commissioning people who want to see young actresses draping themselves over old middle aged men or is yeah. that yeah? No, genuinely, I do yeah. a little bit. I mean, not 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 in not in general, but I think there's a few times where people they don't ask you to sex it up. Yeah. But you can see their disappointment. It's mm. not. I think also just it's not it's not them being perverts or particularly sexist or anything, mm. but I think it's a. Uh, it's probably not conscious either. I think it's not conscious, and I think it's also that they they often commission me or read a play of mine because they think oh this will be the sexy thing that'll get the young people in. Yeah. And then they'll read something which isn't the sexy thing that'll get the young people in, and then it doesn't get put on because they've already commissioned the people that aren't going to write the sexy thing to get the. That they've already commissioned someone to write the play about the state of the economy. They don't want that play from me. They want yeah. that from so and so. So I don't think it's a it's a them being sexist or or, or pervy. It's mm. just they go, oh, why have you given us that? Ah, we mm. I know we said you could write anything, but we wanted something to fill this kind of slot. Yes. Because that's your thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's. My Are you able to talk to commissioning? Uh, to the artistic directors or the literary managers who might commission plays from you, are you able to have those conversations before the commission's initiated? I mean, I think that's what I'm learning I need to have right. a little bit more because I think it's just a... Maybe it's a confidence thing or something, but I find it very hard to walk into a room and go, OK, I'm going to give you this play. Yeah. I get a little bit like, oh, I might write about that, and if they kind of steer you a little bit, I go, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm. And then I'll go off and do exactly what I want, but then often I think people end up with a play in their hands going... Oh, they said they were going to do this, and I should have just stopped. I think it's just about getting older, just learning to walk into the room going, this is what you're going to be getting mm. if you want anything from me. Mm. And I just think it's, about, I think it's a thing of coming from the rule court. This is a nice way to round it up, isn't it? <laughs> Come from the rule court that lets you do anything mm. a little bit more, and you're in those young writers' groups, and they go, write what you want, write mm. who you are, write mm-hmm. like, your thing, and then entering a bit more of a commercial world of... This and this and this yeah. and this is your selling point. Mm. What do you want to do? Yeah, yeah. So back to the Royal Court, really. <laughs> Are you writing for the Royal Court now? No, tell Vicky. <laughs> well, I mean, she'll hear Why this podcast. Why do you podcast. think I'm doing this podcast? <laughs> you know how much I didn't want to do it? I went, remember me. <laughs> Are you writing for stage now? Yes, yeah, again. And well, how's it going? Good. Yeah. Finally. 
Yeah. yeah. No, we just uh, got. Uh, it feels nice. I've managed to line up stuff. So, like I said, going to Copenhagen, managed to line up a few things. Great. So to write more. when you're. Yeah, when I'm so out there. You and said lonely. to me before the podcast started, but you're about to go on a six month trip to Copenhagen. Yeah. Which will be a fascinating thing for a writer to write away. Because you've always written about places that you've lived, yep. yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And been living near in the, the pla- places. In the places. Yeah. So the, di- so the dislocation of distance will be really fascinating. Yeah. Unless you end up writing about Copenhagen. But even <laughs> then, you'll be, you'll be writing from, the, from, an from an outsider's point of view. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting thing to see what happens when you start writing as an outsider, whether you're writing about your own yeah. city as an exile or writing about Copenhagen yeah. as, an, as an immigrant. I think it would just also be useful for me to be away from friends yeah. that, that you want to go out with. Yeah. And get, like, and then you go, oh, it's all week done. I haven't done You've anything. Got, um, <laughs> you talked already about your friendship with Rachel Delahaye. Mm. Have you got other friends who are playwrights as well? Uh, not many. Right. <laughs> it's basically me and Rachel. Yeah. And uh, I've got a few friends from EastEnders. Mm. Kenny Empson. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The, um... I, th- I find it a little bit easier staying away from getting too into the theatre world right because just I think otherwise you, you can get very um, just jack yourself off with your writing you can and jack yourself jack off jack yourself I didn't quite hear that <laughs> sorry right. I thought know. you said chuck yourself off jack yourself yeah. off you know which is a great way to spend a Tuesday afternoon <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, who are you writing for when you write your plays um, we don't know do you um, have an imaginary audience I think it's just myself. But do you have that, an that is, stage, or do you write for the stage of commission to write I used for? to. I used to write. For the, I used to write um, like it was. A, well, not like it's a TV thing, but I try. Well, no, actually, I still try and do it. I still try and move it and, and write in real life because I write naturalistic stuff. Yeah. And until I do a non, I'm recently doing something a bit more non-naturalistic, and I'm seeing it on stage a bit more. What does that mean for you, naturalistic and non-naturalistic? Because I always think those terms mean different things to yeah. different writers. Yeah, no, different well, I, I just mean that because I, I try and write real life exactly how it is. Right. I try and literally, if I'm setting something in the room, I lit- I'm not thinking about stage or actors and stuff, I'm like, literally, what is that room? Yeah. And I turn, it's like, in my head, I'm turning, and it's for, it's like a virtual reality. Yeah. It, yeah. And it would never be like, oh, this is how you do it on stage. Yeah. And now the first time I'm writing something specifically for a stage is an di- adaptation of something again. Yeah. And But I'm thinking much more like, oh, and then people can come down from the balcony and they'll yeah, do this. Great. And like, that, so it's a new way of thinking for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, the final question that I would ask you, or two more questions. You said in an interview about your NC Connections play that you wrote about school because you wanted to put a seal on yeah. an experience that had been difficult for you. Yeah. Is that, and you said that's why I write, actually, is to mm. put a seal on things. Is that still true? Yes. Yeah. I think so. And what does that mean? But um, also, also, I think my, my, my idea of putting a seal and stuff has expanded more to ideas as well. Right. Than just literally my own life. I think it's just, I feel like once I've written it and it explored it and gone through it all in my head and got mm. it all out on the page, I can feel like, right, I'm done with that now. Right. And, and so, I think I can do that with an experience, I could do that also with an idea. Yeah. Um, but an idea of like like writing something about the economy and something that bugged me about the economy, I feel like, yeah. oh, I can just get it down and done. I don't yeah. need to talk about that. Okay. I don't want to worry about it, it's done. Mm. So I think it's that. And as somebody who's had work seen by audiences of millions, yeah, <laughs> as, uh, as somebody who, you know, and, and there's no question that EastEnders defines England's sense of self and mm. has done for the past 30 years, yeah? 
is theatre relevant in that way? Is theatre a relevant art form? Yes, because I think it is when you see it. Like, and the fact that it hasn't got a big, wide audience. I know the plays that I've seen that have been good for me have spoken to me and changed the way I think about stuff. Yeah. And that might be... The, the fact that might be only 80 people upstairs at the court or 5 million people watching an episode of EastEnders. Yeah. It's like if it, if it... I think something's relevant if it's relevant to someone and someone sees it that it is then relevant to. And there's a qualitative difference with the 80 or the, or the 5 million. No, because I just think it's it's nice the five million because it maybe it, it, just because statistically wise, yeah. it's gonna maybe then there's like five hundred people it speaks to maybe in the royal court with eight people maybe there's only five people right. that night that yeah. really went oh fuck that's for me. They all did it in the same room at the same time. Yeah, the, which you know, yeah, and strangers as well. Yeah, like people who didn't know each other. Yeah. Sitting in the same room, looking in the same direction at the same time. Yeah, I, th I think that's why I find it more a more powerful experience than them ever watching a TV thing. But yeah. I just don't think the question of of it being relevant ap ap applies just because it's got a smaller audience. Yeah, in a sense, it's more relevant because. Yeah. It's I was going to say, does that make sense? And then I just <laughs> went, can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the extent to which the things you've said to us make sense. When you listen back to it, it will really surprise you. Yeah, it's been a real, promise. real privilege. Uh, and Eurice, thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, then make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or on iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed here, all of the plays discussed here, at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the bookshop uh, at the theatre in Sloan Square. Come to the theatre, come and see the plays. Follow us on Twitter at Royal Court. Follow me on Twitter at Stephen Simon and tune in next week to next week's Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast. Uh, I'm Simon Stevens. Have a brilliant week. Thank you very much for listening. See you later. Ta-ra.